recorded live, Union Inn, Washington, D.C., 1112, 3rd Street, Northeast. We are Steps to Nomagayudet Metro. Nice, brisk walk to Union Station. And a leisurely jaw to the Capitol, Capitol Hill. I am the illustrious Innkeeper Freddy, host extraordinaire. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Guestbook Podcast. Guestbook Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Candyman. Candyman. Candyman? Candyman? Yeah, I'm going to say it five times, y'all. Candyman. What happens when you say his name five times? He appears. Greetings. At long last. At long last. The listeners of Guestbook Podcast say, how can you go 68 episodes without us hearing from Joshua Hutchison? I am here. I have arrived. So, of course, we got to bring him in on episode 69. Of course. Juvenile chuckle. Insert here. Right, right. Why'd you pick this song? Uh, because this is the opening theme to the original Candyman movie. Very haunting music by the always mysterious Philip Glass. He haunts your dreams. He alters your moods. He takes you to places you never thought you'd go. So, Candyman, what was his stick as a horror villain? Candyman was legend. He did not need to appear. He just needed you to have fear and love in what he was. And as long as you respected his memory, then you were safe. And he didn't need to be around. But once you started to doubt, once you started to question, he arrived and gave you answers in the form of ripping your back out with a hook for a hand. What about the bees? Not the bees! Well, that gets into how Candyman was killed, which they reveal in the second movie. But wasn't he already dead? Well, no, originally killed. His oh, origin okay. story. Sorry. All right. He was a slave dating a white woman. And the townsfolk, they didn't like that. So they pulled an Emmett Till on him. They chased him down, cut off his left hand, nailed a hook to it. Don't know why. Slathered him with honey and then released bees from a nearby bee farm. And they stung him to death. It's not the same as the original short story, The Forbidden, by Clive Barker. The themes are the same, but that's about a weird white guy who loves candy, but smells really bad, and he kills people in England. During high school, you carried that moniker. I did. How and why? I was a candy man because I'm so sweet. I'm sorry. Candyman was my tag in high school. It was one of the most prolific tags. However, I only used permanent marker. I didn't use uh, spray paint. Much faster that way, more surfaces. Why I picked Candyman? It's a very stupid reason. 
Lauryn Hill. Do tell. On the first Fuji's album. The first Fuji's, not the score. Not the score. Blunted by reality. Mm-hmm. There's one song where she's like, when I call you, I say candy man, candy man, candy man. And for some reason that resonated with me. And I was like, well, that's cool. But she only said it three times. Right. Well, you know, people do it three times, five times. It's just, I hadn't seen Candyman at the time. It just really resonated and stood out with me or to me. Okay. And plus people are having tags at the time and shit like that. When you say school, we're talking about the illustrious Montgomery Blair High School, Silver Spring, Maryland. Damn strizzle. More specifically... We're talking about the one the real OGs know about on 313 Wayne Avenue. They don't even call New Blair New Blair anymore. It's just Blair. It's just Blair. I've never stepped foot in there. Refuse. Yeah, let's shout to Blair. We will blaze on. That's right. Blaze a new path to the future. <laughs> yeah, so, ladies and gentlemen, Joshua Hutchison is a man of many talents. Yeah, yeah. Definitely one of the wittiest people that I know. Oh, thank you. And sharing in a similar trait that's characteristic with a lot of extremely smart people he is super extremely well read thank you honestly he's probably read more than 10,000 books in his life maybe how'd you get in the military Josh interesting story I was kicked out of college uh, for the second time I was homeless I was staying in a friend of mine's basement Uh, he had no electricity is the hottest ball summer. Now, my friend did not live there. Due to lack of electricity, he went and lived with his girlfriend two towns over. So I stuck there by myself. No job, no money. I'd write checks to get pizza that I knew would bounce, but they accepted checks back in the day. And there's so many different pizza places there. I'd get a pizza, you know, it'd last for a week. Uh, I would drink wine. I understand now why bums drink wine, why they're called winos. It's so cheap. Eventually, I was tired of it. I wanted three hots in a cot, as they say in the military. I wanted to be able to take a shower, have three meals a day, electricity, normal stuff that people want. So after much debate, uh, much talking with my parents, I decided I was going to join the Army. And what month and year was this? I joined uh, June 2001. So I went to the recruiter. By the way, pro tip for anybody who's thinking about joining the military, go Air Force. They're the laziest and easiest. So uh, when I joined, this was back in the day, pre-9-11. And so they had 212 MOSs. An MOS is a military occupational specialty, which is just a way of saying a job within the military. For example, if you're infantry, you're 11 Bravo. If you're artillery, you're 11 Charlie. If you're graphic design artist, you're 25 Victor, I believe. All these years later, you still remember that. Yeah, well, we'll get to that. So... What I wanted to do was mortuary affairs because I wanted to see them dead titties, yo. Maybe pull out some dead teeth, some dead gold teeth. So I, I was thinking about doing that, and my recruiter said, hey, we're in a time right now where there's no war, nobody's attacking America, 
Mortuary affairs are the kind of job where you could do your whole military career and never actually do that job. Because there'd be no reason for you to do it. So they put you on other stuff. I was like, okay, that makes sense. So I went with my second choice. When I was in college, I was an English major. I worked for the school paper. I even started the humor section for the school paper that still runs to this day. So I decided as a second job to be a journalist in the army. And the MOS number for that is 46 Quebec. So to be able to make sure I could do that job, I had to take a test called the ASVAB. ASVAB is kind of like SATs. It says what jobs you're eligible for. Out of 100, I got 96. Thank you. Which means I could do any job except for one involving nuclear energy. Um, to do my job, there was a certain window that was open for me, but not until later in the year. So I was on uh, deferred, delayed entry. Fast forward to September 11th, 2001. I'm in my parents' basement, watching Teletubbies, smoking a bong. I hear there's something going on in the news. I turn it to the news. I see what's going on in the world trade. I said, oh, fuck. I'm screwed now. Because now I'm going to go to boot camp and be in the army when there's a war going on. Have you told people your 9-11 story? Uh, I don't think I have on the podcast yet. So 9-11 happened. So got real. So I ended up going to boot camp October 4th. I went to Fort Knox, Kentucky. Where the gold's at? Yes. Did you see the gold? No. But when my parents visited me later, uh, as they were going into the entrance, there was traffic. My dad took a picture of the place where the gold is. By the time they got to the entrance, there was a guard there saying, don't do that. <laughs> so Fort Knox, where I went, was the last non-co-ed boot camp in the country. There are four places uh, that do boot camp. Except for Benning, which was infantry only, every other place was co-ed. Except for Knox. It was all dudes. And it's considered the toughest boot camp in America. Non-Marines, but we're not talking about them. In fact, my class, my cycle, was the last non-co-ed cycle in the Army. Now, we are there from October 4th to December 21st. Boot camp comes in three sections. The first section is where they tear you down. When you go to the chow hall, you eat in five minutes, head down, talk to nobody. The second session is a little easier. I mean, it's still rough because it's boot camp. And the third is a little easier too. Now, the interesting thing is, well, not interesting. This tells you how your tax dollars are spent. <clears throat> the military was not ready to fight this type of war. All the training we did was based off of Vietnam War stuff. Yeah, sounds like World War One. So everything was out of date. I mean, they've changed everything now to be able to fight this war, but we're not going to be ready for the next one. So current PT is a lot of core stuff, whereas PT back in my day 
with a lot of physical stuff to worry about the muscles and not about maintaining doing something for a long time. It was more sprints than marathons. Right. Yeah. I was in Bravo Company, first of 46. Our platoon was the Mad Dogs. All bite, no bark. Uh, when I was in the Army, everybody goes by their last name. Everybody just ended up calling me Hutch. And that followed me to every base I went, even if I didn't tell people to call me Hutch. Well, you got to have a Hutch in the military. Yeah. Boot camp was on cold days in the mud, going through the mud, long, hard days. Beautiful sunrises, though. Beautiful sunrises. You have to be online come sun up. You have to be up before the sun is. You eat breakfast before the sun is up. You don't even have an appetite like five minutes after you wake up, but you got to do it. When are you done at the end of the day? Maybe eight. Plus, you got to do either fire guard or there's some other guard. So there's an hour of sleep that you miss every night. Okay. Man, it's hard to remember. It's just a lot of... I remember the most interesting part of the early days, phase one, was doing DNC. Democratic National Committee? Yes. Drill and ceremony. It was like the least amount of work. You go to the, the pad, the asphalt pad, and you practice marching around, about face, left turn, hoot, right turn, hoot, about face, and uh, doing different moves with your uh, weapon. Well, we had M16s, rubber ones, most of the time. When you say rubber ones, these M16s didn't work. They were just replicas. Right, they were replicas. The only time we had real weapons was when we went to the range. Every day you would go to the range? No, but very often. Uh, you got to be able to hit um, a target at 50 meters, 100 meters, 150, 200, 250, and 300. These are all M16s, or do you ever use uh, handguns? No, M16s only. Uh, we do from prone supported and prone unsupported. What does that mean? Laying down with sandbags to hold up the end or your arm. Okay. That's, That's unsupported. unsupported, okay. And you have to factor in. To, yeah, wow. I don't still have these skills because I'm never really a gun guy. You got to factor in windage, uh, distance, the curvature of the bullet. Uh, for some reason, if it's like 100 meters, you aim lower and it goes high. And if it's 150, you aim it goes low. Something like that. It's weird. We all like to name our weapons. Of course you have to. It's my rifle. It's my gun. When it's for action, when it's for fun. Uh, so my rifle was Shanene, Ashinkashe, Washington Jones. Did you have to take apart and put back together oh, Shanene? Yeah. Blindfolded? Hell yeah. Not blindfolded. But as fast as you can. I can still do that. You'd have to do it because you got to clean them. How important is it to clean a gun? Very. Really? Except for um, AK-47s. Okay. Those are made to be able to go underwater and you can shoot them. Wow. When you're done with boot camp, is it like graduation? There is a graduation. They invite parents. You wear your class A's. So you're like 21 around this time, right? Yes. Okay. I turned 21 at boot camp on a gas chamber day. I don't see how you could skip over that during boot camp. Oh, well, yeah. They put you in the gas chamber and you really smell it. 
uh, the cabin. You go in with your mask. Mm-hmm. They make sure you have a nice tight seal. Mm-hmm. They make you take off your mask. Mm-hmm. It's a big empty room in the middle of the floor. Coffee canister with uh, CS riot gas in it. Is that like pepper spray? It's riot gas. Okay. And yes, it is kind of pepper sprayish. Okay. That's what the C stands for. Okay. Do you know what capsaicin tastes or smells like? No. Like the essence of pepper. The, the concept of pepper. Yeah. Like wasabi. Yes. Okay. Then you have to walk around in a circle three times with your mask off. And then you go outside. Uh, luckily, it was raining. You get snot coming out. You're crying. Like, some people, it doesn't affect as much as others, but it's bad. Can you hold your breath? You could, but not for that long. It doesn't matter. It still gets in your eyes and stuff. How long does it take to do one revolution of the circle? Depends on how fast people are going. How fast they want to get out. Okay. So, yeah, when we had graduation, uh, the drill sergeants call parents in one at a time with their kid. So, I, I went in, me and my dad, and drill sergeant was there. And then he decided to smoke me in front of my dad. What's smoked? That's like in movies where you hear someone say, drop and give me 20. Mm-hmm. That's called being smoked. And it's not so much about doing the 20. It's about doing the 20 over and over and over and over again. You don't do 20. You do it until he tells you you're done. <laughs> and the proper push-up. Explain that. You got to break the plane. So what does that mean? It means you're uh, 90 degrees, elbows. And they can tell you to just stay down. Mm. You got to do it by cadence. Mm. So one push-up is two push-ups. Down, up, down, up. That's one. One, two, three, one. One, two, three, two. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, we all started had this thing he called the funky And that's where he'd smoke the hell out of you if you really did something. I got the funky once. What's the funky That's where he smokes you to death. You're still here, though. I went and spent the day in the hospital. That's not healthy. I couldn't use my legs. He made me do so many squats while holding my rifle above my head. I couldn't walk downstairs. My legs were straight up jelly. Wow. They took me to the hospital. I spent... That was a day off, too. (laughs) Silver lining. Yeah. How long after graduating boot camp did you get deployed? So, that was 2001. I didn't go to... Uh, Iraq until March of 2003. During that gap time after you left Fort Knox, you went home and chilled out? I went home for a week and then I had to report to AIT. What is that? That's Advanced Individual Training. And you did that here in Maryland? At Fort Meade. That's where DINFOS is. Defense Information School. AIT is training for your specific MOS. Boot camp is basic military soldier. Yeah. Then you got to learn about your own job. AIT um, wasn't just journalists for the Army. It was for Army, Air Force, Marines, Navy, and Coast Guard. <laughs> we had one Coast Guard guy. Um, now, there isn't just uh, print journalism. There's also um, video journalism. Uh, we also had uh, artists, graphic design. We also had um, psych ops. Mm. So all of the interesting artistic 
kind of um, MOSs were there. When you say MOS, what does that mean? Military Occupational Specialty. Sorry. That's okay. I may ask again. I'm sorry. It's fine. So we spent uh, three months there. I was in student company. That was also divided up into three phases. And it ends with having to do a newspaper as the class. All right. After I get out of uh, AIT, I get sent to Fort Campbell, Kentucky, which is the home of the 101st Airborne Division, which you might all remember being from the miniseries Band of Brothers. It's the one with the eagle, old Abe. So I'm assigned there to join the Public Affairs Office. By MOS is specifically Public Affairs Specialist, which means that not only am I a writer, a journalist, but I also do press releases, I handle press conferences, I am the public face. I answer phone calls in case something happens. We can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> That's the official line. You, um, you were the Sarah Huckabee Sanders of Fort Campbell. Yeah. Well, I was the junior one. Okay. We did work with some civilians. This was back in the early days when there were still 212 MOSs. Once the war started, they want to funnel as many people coming in to infantry as possible. So most jobs got pushed to being civilian jobs. And when you say civilian jobs, you mean people that work indirectly for the military but haven't enlisted. Right. Okay. So I was last of the dying breed. So I worked for the Fort Campbell Courier, uh, second largest newspaper in the Army after Fort Bragg's, 12,000 readers. Where is Fort Campbell located? Uh, Kentucky. Okay. Near Fort Knox? No. The uh, other side. An hour... It's actually Tennessee, except uh-huh. the post office is in Kentucky. Okay. So we're an hour north of Nashville. We knew we were going to go to Iraq by way of Kuwait. So we got our orders um, to go to Iraq in February 2003. Oh. So between March 2002 and February 2003, you were in Fort Campbell. Yeah. Okay. I was there for a while. Okay. When you go, you get danger pay. You get all types of pay. And it's a 24-hour flight. And they give you each an ambient so you can, you know, last as long as possible. And the plan was if we land in Kuwait before March, they would get all of the extra pay from February. Even if the last five seconds of that month, you get it for that month. We just missed it. Well, I mean, we're saving taxpayer dollars by doing that, you know. <laughs> yeah, but the other stuff they do. I'm just saying. So we arrived at Camp Doha, Kuwait. Real quick. When you first set foot in Kuwait, what was the first thing that kind of caught your attention? Hot and dry. The desert. And the thing I will always remember about Kuwait is the way the hand soap smelled. Good or bad? Just unique. It was just, it made me realize I'm in another country, another part of the world. I'm doing this camping trip for an entire year. It, it just stood out. Anytime I smell something similar to that, it'll take me right there. So anyway, we moved out to Camp New Jersey. And everything. <laughs> oh, Camp New Jersey. Yeah. In Kuwait. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, uh, there was a bunch of kids. There was Camp Pennsylvania. Okay. In fact, in Iraq, all the major routes 
were named after porn stars. Fun fact. Yeah, I don't make up these things. Um, so in Camp New Jersey, every day at noon, there's this thing called Big Voice. And Big Voice was a speaker that would go off and you have to put on your gas mask in under seven seconds and all this stuff, you know, make sure you're ready. Now, the first time Big Voice went off because it was an actual attack, everybody flipped their shit. Instantly forgot all of our training. Everything. It's always just practice. Until the first time someone shoots a missile at you. Was there any warning? Yeah, Big Voice. So Big Voice said, hey, a Scud missile is coming. Well, not, Big Voice isn't actually a voice. It's an alarm. Okay. The same alarm that you had been hearing. Yes. Did you know that that yes. Big Voice you heard was not a drill? Yes. It was a different type of alarm and it wasn't at noon. In movies, you know the hero, even if the hero is not worried, you know they're not going to get hit. You know they're going to be fine. But this is the real world. You're like, is someone actually going to protect me or is this going down? Luckily, we had Patriots and they'd shoot back at the Scuds, blow up the Scuds before they got close to us. Then they'd shoot them at night. And that would freak you out because then you got to put on your mask and run to the bunker. But then we got so used to it, the the scud's getting blown up. I mean, you'd hear it. It'd get blown up like 200 feet above you. And you see it. Well, we were in the tent, so with the drab green, which is the official army color, uh, canvas tent, you couldn't see anything. It got to the point where they're shooting so many scuds at like 2 in the morning, you wouldn't even put your mask on. you just put it on top of your face and then go back to sleep. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of like... It says you can get used to anything. Yeah, I guess so. So after two weeks of that, the war started. That's when they did shock and awe in Baghdad. When you say the war started, you mean the war against Iraq and not the war on terror. Or the war against drugs. Okay. The actual war. It started in Baghdad... March 27th. But I recall like the day after September 11th. Bush oh, saying like, yeah, we're at war. That was a war against uh, terrorism. Af- Afghanistan. Oh, you're right. My apologies. Okay. This was Operation Iraqi Freedom. There you go. So, yeah, shock and awe uh, on Baghdad, vital targets. And then Marine First Expeditionary Unit moved in. <clears throat> Marines always go first. Yeah. And they make a point to say that. Were they to y'all? A little bit. <laughs> so we end up driving into um, Iraq. Our first stop is Anajaf. We're there for about a week. That's south of Baghdad. And Anajaf was the first time I saw a dead body. Not just a dead body, but one that had its face blown off. At that time, I was embedded for a week with EOD. What's that? Explosive Ordnance Disposal. Bomb Squad. Like the Hurt Locker. I thought that they were the ones that went in and dismantled the bomb, not necessarily took care of the stuff afterwards. Both. Okay. They dismantle a bunch and then they take them out into the desert and blow them up. They were some crazy motherfuckers. Like they'd take the C4 and do different animal shapes and put it by the bombs. 
I love those guys. They're the most fun I had out there. Fearless. Yeah. They were my best in bed. Were they moral? Yes. Unlike the infantry guys who they don't have good training. They're just like blown up. We went to this college, this technical college. We stayed there for a day because we were supposed to dispose of stuff. So we were there to, to supervise that they did it right and had all 10 fingers when done. So at this technical college, that's where I saw my first dead body. It was a guy who shot in the back of his head, which made his face explode because the exit wound's always bigger than the entry wound. Hmm. So his body's laying on the ground and these punk infantry kids are practicing their flying elbows and shit on him. Like, I'm just in awe that they, there's a actual proof of war, of killing. It just shocked me. I mean, I knew that we were there for. When we were trained back in America, they told us the um, ROE, rules of engagement. What they should have done was shown us what this stuff actually looks like. By the way, the rules of engagement were crazy. I think I saw the booklet somewhere. Like, if you see a guy, even with his family, in a car, but he has a cell phone, blow him up. Is that recent? No, those are the original rules of engagement. Oh. The biggest fear in Iraq is always the roadside bomb. Always. You're supposed to keep your eyes out for things that don't belong. But how do you know it doesn't belong? You've never been there before. You're supposed to look for like clumps of dirt or newspapers just sitting there. But that place is always dirty. Like it was, it's just it puts you on edge all the time because you're supposed to look for things. You don't know if it's right or not. When you say roadside bombs, you're talking about what is now called an IED. Basically, yeah. Okay. Except those, the roadside bomb, I don't know. You're supposed to look out for guys like sitting on a, a hill. Maybe he's got a, a detonator in his hand or mm-hmm. a phone or whatever. But anything could be anything. Mm. So being alert that much stresses you out, makes you tired. And that's where the PTSD sets in. Possibly. But uh, it's just... Uh. Anyway, then we go to Baghdad move up there for a couple weeks. I spend a week embedded with an infantry unit. We spent most of our time at a Baghdad amusement park, an abandoned amusement park, which is spooky. One night we got attacked. They were throwing grenades, shooting at the walls. Now the thing that the infantry guys failed to understand is that me and my coworker were soldiers first. Uh, journalist second mm-hmm. we carry weapons just like they do I had a rifle in one hand a camera in the other so yeah so they consider us journalists first so they made us hide underneath an SUV while they did all the fighting so I got shot at but I didn't get to shoot back hmm. which is basically the story of all my deployments I'd never fired my weapon once in all three deployments Wow. Let's talk about this first deployment mm-hmm. as a whole. Okay. And then pick out highlights of things. This deployment. How long was it in total? It was a year. Okay. You spent your entire time, you said the first few weeks in Kuwait, but then the rest of the time was in Iraq. Yes. Okay. Uh, to me, 
It was a, it was camping for a year. This deployment as a whole was the most satisfying. Hmm. Because I got to actually do my job that I trained for. This was when we didn't know the rules. Gotcha. It was early days. It was Wild West. This was when you could go out in one Humvee. You didn't need a convoy or two or three. This is when you could actually still go into cities and just walk the streets. This is before we knew how all of it was supposed to work. It, it was not great, but it was fulfilling. I mean, you could go one Humvee into the city, go to Chicken Alley in Mosul, buy a chicken, dip were, out. Were there a lot of soldier deaths during this period? Probably because this is the actual war part, the actual fighting part. I mean, within your company, within the people that were in your first, second degree circle, was the idea or the thought of people passing away due to combat something that you got used to or, or something that was commonplace? Uh, I would say so. Only one person I knew was killed and he was blown up right outside my balcony. Hmm. And it was the day after Thanksgiving. Hmm. And the thing is, the day before, I had taken a picture of, at, at Thanksgiving, I had taken a picture of this cake, this huge cake. And him and a friend of him, they were both standing there. I had a wide-angle lens. And they were both, like, presenting the cake. Mm-hmm. It was his last known photograph. Wow. And they used it for his memorial service. That's great. I mean, there were more big battles at the beginning than skirmishes. Because this was back when Iraqis liked us. Hmm. So, I mean, you'd have kids throwing rocks at you. But then the adults would throw rocks at the kids. So, it wasn't too bad. I mean, you still had to be on alert. There were some shootouts. I got shot at a lot. But it seemed manageable, I feel. And when you say shot at. Yeah. Are you saying there's the sound of bullets in the air, I need to take cover? Or is this like, oh, man, that shot just hit the wall right here? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I got a bunch of stories. My favorite was, well, first of all, two friends of mine who were combat camera, which, by the way, is the most deployed MOS in the military. Combat camera. Combat camera just takes pictures for the Pentagon and for the military. So when you see movies like Jason Bourne and shit like that, and they put up pictures, uh, that's combat camera. Okay. So two of my friends, they got the first uh, Purple Hearts in the war, and they were combat camera. Okay. So my favorite time was a week, whereas me and one of the combat camera guys, and we each had a driver, and it was two Humvees, and we just wandered the countryside. That was it. Taking pictures, though. Yeah. But, I mean, the assignment was to take, you know, some pictures. I had to write a couple stories. At one point, we went up to the Syrian border. Went up to Syria and hung out with um, an Overwatch sniper crew for a couple days. I mean, it was, like, by the second or third deployment, we'd have to have five Humvees and they knew you were coming yeah three of them would be you know MPs protection or some shit. and you'd have a set 
schedule of where to go and all this stuff. But back then, it's like, it's just free. Let's go left. Okay. First deployment was like the Wild West. Yes. Okay. After that first deployment, you came back home. Yes. For how long? A year. Okay. Did you know when you came back that you were going to be going out for a second deployment? Pretty much. It was the thing is for the first deployment, we thought we were only going to be there for six months. That we were promised that. Mm-hmm. And then in month five, they said it's going to be a year. Okay. So after that, we knew not to expect anything good. So we knew not to be dejected if we're going out again. So it was kind of a given. You got redeployed. This is the second time. Correct. What year is this? Uh, this is 0506. And did you go to the same areas in Iraq? Did you go to Iraq? I was in Iraq. I was above Baghdad, but south of Mosul in a place called Tikrit, okay. which is near Kukuk, which is where Saddam had been found in the spider hole. All right. When you arrived, was Saddam still alive? No. He was killed while I was on leave the first deployment. Okay. So what did you do in Tikrit? Uh, I was the division general's photographer. All right. And at that point, we had a monthly magazine called Band of Brothers. So I do stories for that. I do layout. Uh, We had to collect them every month. It was much less fulfilling. I barely got to leave the base unless I was doing photographs. It was also more depressing because as the um, division general commander he had to go to all the memorial services oh wow and as the the photographer i'd go with them and And you couldn't take pictures of the caskets well there's no caskets it's just um you know boots and a cross with dog tags on it you know you've seen pictures but you wouldn't see the dead body no because it's just a memorial service body's already gone okay so he'd go two or three a day and each one there might be like five or six soldiers that are dead are you familiar with Law and Order? Yes. Okay. In Law and Order, you never get to meet the victim while they're alive. You only get to find out about them after the fact through the people that are interviewed. That's what it felt like at these memorial services. I only got to know these people I never met through other people eulogizing them, finding out about their family their hopes, their dreams, their hobbies. It got so depressing for me that I went to the division psychiatrist and I was put on um, Prozac. Well, yeah, I mean, this is happening every day. No, not every day. Okay. Just when they're killed and they're from the one-on-one. Would you go to one of these once a week? A few times a week, yeah. So you're seeing upwards of 10 people that have passed away. And I got to take pictures. And I got to take pictures of people crying because they knew these people. Yeah, they're like forcing you to look at the belly of the beast. You yeah. can't turn away. Yeah. I don't know how uh, the general took it. I guess you, you got it. Did you ever talk to him about this? No. Mm. Just just a division shrink. Is this a form of PTSD? Could be. Now, this one wasn't as much of a camping trip as the first deployment, correct? No, this one I lived in a chew. What's a chew? A containerized housing unit. Oh, like a shipping container. Yes. It's been made into a home. Right, a repurposed shipping container. And it was 8 by 40 or was it 8 by 20? Uh, 40. It had um, four bunks in it. Three of us were living in this one. Me, a uh, Salvadorian, and a Mexican. 
And they were all U.S. soldiers? Yes. Okay. And this one, we had access to a PX. Which is? Uh, like a Walmart or whatever. Commissary. Maybe. I don't know. You'll have to look it up. I don't remember. A PX is, a, is a, like um, a, a store. A store that sells food and supplies to the personnel or workers in a military post, mining camp, lumber camp, or the like. Okay. And then... This was like 15 years ago. I'd know all this. Yeah, post exchange commissary. Yeah, it's a it's a commissary. Okay. Well, well then it's know. what PX. Stands I guess for. PX is when it's outside the United States, and a commissary is inside maybe. the United States. Maybe. All right. So you could get anything there. Yeah. You could you could buy a car. At the PX. Well, I mean, you order the when you get back to America, you actually get the car. Wow. You could buy TVs. You could buy a bunch of stuff. So I bought a TV. You have a kitchen? No. We only had like three or four channels. We also had TVs in the headquarters where I worked, but the only channel you could get was AFN, Armed Forces Network. Okay. The funny thing about AFN is, well, first of all, their schedule is based off America, so it's like an eight-hour difference. <laughs> so, like, Simpsons is at like 2 o'clock on a Tuesday. They aren't allowed to do any commercials, so they do military commercials. Uh-huh. So it's a commercial for courage. Hmm. It's all for um, like characteristics of being a soldier, and like doing right by your family and doing right by God. Like the commercials are super corny. I did a blog about it and it's always the same commercials. Like they'll last for like 30, 40 years. They got commercials from the seventies on there. Someone will look at AFN. They'll see the commercial. Oh, they show that back when I was in Vietnam. Is hilarious. Oh, I used to write for the magazine a top ten list. Like David Letterman. Top ten different things. One day I go out uh, with the general and there's this group of people soldiers um, off to the side and they have the magazine. They're all pointing at me. And they come up to me. They're like, yo, are you Hutch? I'm like, yeah, that's me. They're like, oh my God, you're the best. We love you. We signed this. Like, yeah, no doubt, man. So it's a minor celebrity. Wow. My second deployment is also where I started my blog, 84 Glide. How does it get the name 84 Glide? It got it because when I was in college and I'd drive home to Maryland from Ohio, I'd go on um, Interstate 70. And near Pittsburgh, there was a sign that said 84 and glide pointing off as an exit. And I had no idea what that meant. It seemed very interesting. And I just stored it away for later use. I'm not the only one with this idea. There's also a band called Shallow that had a song named 84 Glide. <laughs> I contacted them once and they said it was for the exact same reason. <laughs> so my blog, 84 Glide, I started in 2006. It's 2019 now. It's still going on strong. Right. And I think your 100th or 200th or 300th blog post, you actually went there. Right? Yes. Yes. Uh, and I did a uh, a short 15-minute video, maybe it's half hour, me and my friends exploring what 84 and Glide are. What are they? They are two small towns in western Pennsylvania. If you want to see 
the documentary, just Google Glide, that's with a Y, Glide in 84 on YouTube. There's part one and part two. Part one is Glide, part two is 84. Very interesting stuff. Back to second deployment. Yes. How long were you out there for the second deployment? Also a year. Actually a little over a year because I stop lost. What does that mean? To explain stop loss, I've got to go back to what an MOS is. Which is? Military Occupational Specialty. Thank you. When you join the Army, you're locked in for eight years, regardless. However, your MOS decides how many years you're active, if you're active duty, which I was. That's active, meaning you're out deployed not like at the base no no including at the base okay and then being in uniform having to report being an actual soldier but for my mos it's five years okay which they didn't tell me until after i signed because all the commercials my entire life said two years but that's only if you're infantry because i signed thinking it's just two years and after i signed they're like oh you know it's for five years right mother the longest job I've ever had was eight months. How am I going to do five years? So stop loss means they keep you in longer than what you're supposed to be active. So I stop loss an extra two months, two or three months. So it's five years and a few months. And is that based upon your... The needs of the army. Okay. You leave the second deployment and you're like, I'm getting out. Yep. My five years are over. I get out. I go home. Oh, they, you know, give you classes on how to do resumes and find jobs and get disability. Mm-hmm. Now, what you do with that is you take your medical records to some dude. He goes through them all. He's like, yeah, you can apply for this, this. Another pro tip, anybody trying to join the army. They're going to make you feel like a punk if you have any injury and you want to go to the doctor, they're going to tell you, suck it up. Don't. Anything that happens, you want records of it. You want it to be on your file. That way, when you go to the dude, when you're about to get out, he's got more stuff that you can get disability for. Hmm. So while they make you feel weak while you're in, you get the last laugh when you get out, and you get paid more. Hmm. While I was in Iraq both times, I did not spend my money, and I got extra money for combat pay and danger pay. So I got plenty of money. Plenty of money. And I always used to quip. The Army could recall me at any point because I still had like two and a half. But if they were recalling journalists, then we already lost the war. Hmm. Basically, I'm one of those guys who said... You know, I'm two days from retirement. That's going to happen to me. <laughs> Every action hero movie. Yeah. So, in November of 2007. I remember this. I was recalled into the Army. So, you got called back for a third. For a third tour deployment. Of duty. Yes. So, third deployment, I coordinated embeds for civilian journalists. What that means is civilian. CNN. Yes. They'd say, I want to embed with this kind of unit. And all these units had POCs. And it was my job to push people to these POCs and set them up. We had a holding pen for people coming in through Baghdad. 
But if it was like a dust storm, they'd be stuck there for a week. They'd be so pissed at us. Whenever it was like a French crew, they always threw them on me because I speak French. Yeah, we didn't get into that, but yeah. perhaps we'll do that on your next episode. And it would calm them down. Huh. And you actually were okay with it. You still remember. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's like riding a bike. Give me 10 minutes. I, I can. But yeah, you don't want to flex. Only when needed. I'm a kung fu expert. I don't start fights. I finish them. It's the type of guy that goes out to Paris, acts like a kid to everyone. They're like, damn Americans. And he curses them out in French. Yeah. So you were pretty much a liaison. Yeah. We were in the green zone. Which means? It's in um, Baghdad. It's the safest place in Iraq, which is ironic because the true across from mine had been blown up by mortar on Easter a few weeks before I got there. So it's just an empty spot. The chew was much better this time. Bigger TV, more channels, air conditioning. Still 8x40 unit. Yeah. With oh, four bunks. Uh, two. Okay. And so much more space. Mm-hmm. And connected to another chew, shared bathroom. Like in the last deployment, you had to walk like 50 yards to a bank. It was ridiculous. Oh, and by the way, in each deployment, I got a smaller and smaller weapon. First time was an M16. Second time was an M4. Third time was uh, an M9. What is an M9? Glock. Okay. I had very little training on that. I sucked on it. Now, this was, in my eyes, the most tamest deployment yet. Because at this point, we had been in Iraq for so long that... We had a Panda Express. Wow. A Burger King. Mm. A pizza. No, not great. Because it's Iraqi meat. Still, though, those businesses were there. Yeah, but you've never seen a cow in Iraq. I got you. But the point I'm getting at is that. Well, yeah, we're, we had contracts. We went from Wild West. Exactly. To creature comforts. To capitalism. Yeah. Okay. Did you have a kitchen inside of your unit? No. Are you ready for the seven questions? I'll do my best. All right. What's it called, y'all? It's the questions. It's the questions, boy. It's the questions. It's the questions. Yeah, the questions. So, Mr. 10,000 Plus Book Reader, question number one. What is the book that you would add to the library downstairs above the fireplace? I'm really looking forward to this one. Okay. Catch 22. That's crazy that you said that. Of all the books you read, Catch-22 is downstairs. It's my favorite book. Here's the funny thing. I was at, I think, Solid State Books where I bought it. Mm -hmm. And I was in there and it was one of those impulse things. It's like, hey, I'm buying a book. Is there a book in here that you think I should be getting? And the guy was like, Catch-22. And I got it. And it's downstairs. I haven't read it, by the way. You should. So what's it about? It's about a army pilot named Yossarian in World War II in the fake island of Piamosa and his wacky company and they all have to do these flights and bomb and everybody in the book's crazy and it's all non-linear so it's like a Tarantino book yeah it's very confusing it's the only book that I have finished and immediately go back to the first page Joseph Heller is a phenomenal writer he is so interesting and fascinating and so descriptive could ever be made into a movie it has been oh but i think not a good movie it's 
It'd have to be like a two-parter. Okay. Number two, podcast to subscribe. Lunchbox podcast. Lunchbox. Tell listeners about Lunchbox podcast. Uh, Lunchbox podcast is me and my friend John and the occasional guest, including the innkeeper one day. <laughs> we watch movies, and you watch them along with us. And while you watch the movie, you play our podcast where we do commentary on the movie you are currently watching. All right. So we make jokes and we inform. What are some of the movies you've done? So far, our most recent is Return to Oz. Next one we're doing is Batman. We've Which one? 89. Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton. Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson. The original Harvey Dent. Billy D. Williams. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. We've done Cabin Boy. We've done more accessible ones, too. You did a Nick Cage one, too, right? Uh, Mandy. Okay. We focus mostly on 80s movies, okay. ones that haven't really been done by other podcasts and TV shows, but are accessible. You ever going to do The Room? No. Everyone's done that. Everyone and their mother's done that. That's the point. You got to put your stamp on it. Like. Everybody thinks that way. We try to steer away from the obvious ones. Number three, something that you didn't know that you needed until you got it. An alarm clock that wakes you up by smells. Do tell. Uh, for Christmas one year, my sister got me an alarm clock. You put different packets of smells in. You, for winter, you can put uh, fir trees. For summer, you can put in mowed grass. You can put in the smell of coffee. Can you put in your own smells, or do they have to come in these prepackaged? They come in the packets. Oh, man. I haven't seen it. You order more. I haven't seen if there's one you, you send in your essence or whatever. And you use it on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Is there an alarm clock or an app where if I want to get up at sunrise, it'll automatically do it Like it day? tracks the sun? I'm sure there is. Well, I'm saying right now, I have to go onto my weather app, find out when the sun is going to rise, and then every day change the time. No, I hear what time. you're saying. You're saying like a smart alarm clock. That just automatically sunrise. I bet there is. I mean, I haven't searched on App Store or whatever. Use your Euclidean rhythms, my friend. Yeah, I tried one of those where, you know, you put your phone in between the sheets. No, where you just wake up naturally. Yeah, that's uh, that's good in theory. Right. But um, training your mind to do that. Anyways, number four. Yes. Bucket list place to travel. This is any place in the world that you have been to that you'd recommend the listeners add to their bucket oh. list. Chicago. Any place in particular in Chicago? Uh, nope. Why Chicago? Because it is not a pretentious city like New York. You go to New York, they're like, hey, I'm walking here. We're New Yorkers over here. Chicago, they're like, they walk around, they got the good foods, they got the good steaks. But they don't need to advertise. If you'd like Chicago, you'd like Chicago. They don't need to make you feel any which way. Plus, they send one of yours to the hospital. You send one of theirs to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. The Untouchables. Thank you. <laughs> it's a great counter impression. What time of the year did you go to Chicago? Easter mm -hmm. and July. I've been in October and I've been in February. 
October was cold, but it wasn't like debilitating cold. Mm. February, every day, zero. Right. Fahrenheit. Th- there is one thing they like to be proud of, and that's how fast they walk. Hey, I get it. Number five, 50 mile detour restaurant. You be willing to go out your way 50 miles just to eat at this restaurant? Grotto's Pizza. Where is it located? Um, there are several. Uh, I'd go to Rehoboth. Mm-hmm. Then go hit up the Sea Dragon. Hit up the Sea Dragon. Why Grotto's Pizza? Because um, being from this the DMV area, um, we go to Rehoboth every summer. It's a beach. It's only like two, two and a half hours away. And that's the local pizza there. So it's a special occasion kind of pizza. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until like 10 years ago I learned it's just three types of cheddar. No mozzarella, no provolone, just mm-hmm. cheddar. But by then it's too late. I was hooked. <laughs> so it's just special pizza, special memories. Gotcha. Number six, your number one skill, your number one honed craft. Writing. Okay. Or hanging spoons off my nose. We're going to go with writing. Okay. I think you've pretty much explained that during this time. I mean, is there any other writing you've done besides the uh, blog in your newspaper? I've worked for several newspapers and magazines. Okay. Like who? Montgomery County Gazette or PG County Gazette. Yeah. Bozo Magazine, that's an online magazine. Yeah, I do a lot of freelance, really. A lot of online magazine stuff, and those things fold quickly, unfortunately. What is the piece that you're most proud of? That would be my article where I did a comparison of different barbecue joints in the northern Tennessee, southern uh, Kentucky area. I won a third place award in the Kentucky Press Association for feature stories. What year was this written? This was 2005, maybe 06. Last but certainly not least, number seven, your number one talent. This is innate. It's different from skill? Correct. Skill you work at, talent you have naturally. Um, Nature versus nurture. Right. Humorosity. Um, Wit. Wit. I guess. Hey. Why use more letters when you (laughs) use less? An arbitrary number of letters to describe a word that does not exist (laughs) when you could just use three. That's wit for you. Sure. Josh, this is not the first time that you will be on the podcast. It is the first time. I'm sorry. (laughs) Josh, (laughs) Josh, this is not the only time that you will be on the podcast. All right. I'm sure we're going to have multiple, multiple episodes, but this is a good episode just to give the listeners an idea of your background specifically. It's waking my brain up because now I've got like a trillion stories I just remembered. Meeting Bruce Willis, Mustache Month, playing soccer with the Iraqi Army, playing ping pong with the Peruvian Army. Oh. Listeners, stay tuned for Josh's next episode. He's yeah. got tons of them, apparently. 
If the listeners wanted to reach out to you, contact you, see your work, or just uh, marvel at the things you do in this world, do you have any social media, contact info, website? Uh, sure. I'm email. on um, Instagram okay. at 84... Eight four eight four underscore glide with a Y, not G L Y D E. Yes. Okay. There's my blog, which is eighty four spelled out with a dash with a dash between the eighty four eight the Y and the F. Right. Yeah. And then glide with a Y. Straight into the glide, like R G. Yes. Okay. Blogspot.com. Okay. Eighty four spelled out with the dash glide dot blogspot.com yes okay you want to share your email sure it's hutchison h-u-t-c-h-e-s-o-n dot joshua j-o-s-h-u-a at gmail (laughs) dot com well ladies and gentlemen what you are listening to is a condensed version of a now two hour and 33 minute long recording so when you hear this edited version I want y'all to know we just watched Titanic (laughs) that's how long this story is right and your boy is getting his chops up as an editor and hopefully I put together an entertaining podcast that showcases Josh and all his magnificent glory if you want to reach me, as always, innkeeper at unionindc.com. And the website is the suffix. I'm on Instagram, the podcast at Gasper Pod, the in at unionindc, and my personal, where you'll probably see Josh and I go back and forth in comments on pictures that I post and pictures that he posts at Innkeeper Freddy with an IE. Again, Josh, thanks so much for coming. Very well. Thanks for having me. Of course. Always. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Guestbook Podcast, episode 69. Yeah, yeah. We will see you next week for episode 7. Today is August 25th. 2019. Yes, sir. Three years ago to the day your father passed away. Yes, he did. I guess in memorial or in remembrance of him, I'm giving you the floor. Say whatever you want. All right. Well, um, thanks to my father, I had the largest collection of water guns of anybody I know. I had a pair of nunchucks. My father... Loved to play the guitar. He loved to travel in his later years. He and I had a contest to see how many autobiographies we could show up in. I think we're currently tied, although his are better. It had to be autobiographies. Yes. Mm-hmm. He's in Bruce Springsteen's autobiography oh. as the guy who discovered him. Huh. He has the last remaining poster, which I now have, of Bruce Springsteen in the early years when he's with a band called Earth. When he was not the boss, but he was the assistant manager. Right. Yeah. It's worth a few thousand. Um, he was in an autobiography for a woman 
where he was her first kiss in high school. Wow. And that book got turned into a made-for-TV movie where they mushed him together with another guy so they didn't have to pay him anything for being in the movie. Ah, the old composite character. He was extremely proud of me and what I had accomplished in the military, and he proved that by having binders of all of my pictures and all of my stories in every medium that they were printed in and in every language. Wow. So that's 12 or 13 binders of just my first deployment. Yeah, you need to preserve that and archive it like in a temperature-controlled safe deposit box type deal. Well, we took them over to the storage unit. They're kind of cold. He vacuum-sealed all the coins I got. Hmm. We didn't even mention coins. You have a coin collection. No. Or is this from the Army? The Army. They give you coins for what? So... Like unit leaders, generals, command sergeant majors, very high up people that have something called confidence coins. And if you did something that they like, you get a coin. Okay. So the thing is, they're more important than medals. Because medals are lame. The reason they are is because if you want to get a medal, you have to write why you deserve one. You have to ask for a medal. And soldiers hate that. That defeats the whole purpose. Other people should see something in you. That's why you get the medal. Makes perfect sense. What is your father's name? James Edward Hutchison Jr. Oh, stating to the third. Uh, yes. My grandfather's name on my mother's side, he was in the Navy. His name was John. My mom said he will not be a John or James, but he can have a J name. Wow. So I'm Josh. Joshua. Joshua. Josue. And there was a period where you literally would get upset with people if they would call you Josh because your full name was Joshua. I know. Yeah. But in my old age, my old flabby age, I like Josh. Young at heart. Yes, indeed. And uh, salute to your dad, man. Ah, thank you. He's a good dude. Yeah, he was.